who is to figure him that it was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so my grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray. Lord, where would we be without you? Um, we'd be lost in sin. Um, we'd be consumed by death. But Jesus Christ, through your, your death, your burial, your resurrection, um, your grace reigns in our lives when we follow you, when we seek you, God. And uh, how good are you to us? Just pray for my brother Brandon right now. Just thank you for his his love first and foremost for you, his obedience to you, and and God, I know how much he loves all of us and uh, the sacrifices that he he puts into studying your word. I just pray, Lord, that this morning that you would be exalted, that your word would be exalted above your name, and I pray that you'd pierce our hearts. I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and grace and mercy, God, to obey you. Mm-hmm. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Am I good to go? Good morning, guys. It's been a long time since I've been in the pulpit. And so I, I feel really excited uh, to be teaching this morning, but also a little nervous because it's been a while since we've been in Romans. And so real quick, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reviewing because I want to focus on chapter 6 and get into it. But just by way of a brief review, um, we're going we're gonna to kind of walk through where we've been. I also posted on Facebook, if you're interested, a, a short recap of the last five chapters that if you wanted to read through, you could. That was probably... It's like vain and unnecessary, but if you guys are really feeling studious this afternoon, feel free to get on Facebook and and look at the review. Um, Romans, okay, Romans. The, the, The letter to the Romans, from Paul to the Romans, is crucial in our New Testament. It's a very, very important book in that what it does for us is it it outlines the doctrines associated with the gospel message 
um, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What it does is Paul takes the time to write this church and articulate the terms of the gospel message. Okay? That's what's going on here in this letter. Now, to frame the context, Rome is like the biggest city in the world. It's the, it's the greatest metropolis in the world at the time. It's the biggest mixture of culture and um, commerce in the whole entire world. And what we have there is the, is the fledgling church. Okay, The early Christian church is beginning to rise up in Rome. And, and people are meeting in their homes. Uh, people are meeting in different ways around the city. <clears throat> and one of the things that we're running into here is that there is a bit of a cultural clash between the Jewish Christians of Rome and the Gentile Christians uh, of Rome. And so just, just to, to make sure that everybody understands that, there, there are Jews, uh, people that had traditionally followed the terms of the Old Testament law, people that had uh, maybe been people of faith, that when they realized that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had come into the world, they recognized the need to follow the gospel. Okay? And these are people that have a long heritage of following the word of God and knowing what the law says and being very religious people. And they have that baggage that comes with that. Anybody grow up with just a lot of religion? Yeah, anybody like just grow up in a place where they're just very religious but maybe no life in that religion? You know what I'm talking about? And that was true for a lot of these Jewish people, but they couldn't let go of that baggage. It was difficult. Lots of things that they had, they had in, the, in the back of their head were rolling around, and it made it difficult for them to come to terms with how the gospel of Jesus Christ changed their lives. And then on the flip side, you have this group of people that we would call the Gentiles. And these are people that had grown up um, worshiping basically whatever they wanted, whatever was, was uh, convenient in, in the culture at that time, whatever idol was popular that week. They were worshiping that idol, and, and many of them were worshiping in ways that, man, for us today, would kind of turn our stomach to think that those were, that those were uh, ways of worshiping. And these people grew up without the Old Testament, and they grew up without God the Father, and they grew up with, uh, without the prophecies of the Messiah. And so everything of Christianity is completely brand new to them. And for them, it's so fresh and so new, but they don't really have much... Uh, of the tradition or the heritage of the Old Testament. So what happens is when these people come together to worship, they're having a hard time reckoning what it means to be together and what it means to believe in Jesus and what it means to do ministry. And so there's a lot of unanswered questions for these people. And Paul writes the letter to the Romans in order to, to articulate what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and he does a masterful job. In the first chapter, what he does is he says that the whole world is without excuse. There's, there's no one in the world who is, who is culturally or, or, or um, in terms of uh, uh, geographically outside of the reach of God, and that God's desire is that every person come to terms with the message of Jesus Christ. And he says it so much so that, 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 that he promises that God promises in chapter 1 that if any person is willing, he will reveal himself even by nature or miraculous uh, revelation. He, he will make sure that any person who is willing to hear the truth of Jesus Christ will have that opportunity as long as they respond in faith. But on the flip side of that, chapter 1 also tells us that for those of us who look God in the face and we recognize who he is and we see the terms of God, if we turn away, that that way is destruction. Anybody feel familiar with uh, a lifestyle 
or a testimony of someone who saw who God was but then chose to follow a different path? How does that, how does that turn out for them? Not so great, says my sister in the front row. Not so great, right? It leads to confusion, it leads to chaos, and ultimately it leads to destruction. And Paul addresses that, and he makes it clear, and then he moves into chapter 2. And he begins uh, talking about, and let me pull up my notes just so I make sure that I'm following what I wanted to say. I can get off track really easy here. I haven't even really started preaching yet, I don't think. Um, in chapter 2, he begins to break down this idea um, of hypocrisy in the world. Okay, And uh, specifically... Uh, how every person on earth has a tendency to look at each other in religious terms, whether a Christian or not a Christian. Everybody sees themselves as spiritual. Everybody sees themselves as good. And then we're inclined to be hypocritical towards one another and judge one another. And you know, this passage lays out for us that God will judge all of mankind. That there will be no one that escapes his judgment. And so he makes it clear to us, he, Paul is framing for us this idea, that you know what, there's no one that's outside of God's expectations. There's no one that exists outside, their, their actions exist outside or supersede God's eye. They don't go, they don't, none of us escape God's judgment. And a lot of times we look at each other in those religious terms and we find ourselves judging each other, but the truth is we're all just sinners. We're all wicked. Verse 6 of chapter 2 says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds. And what Paul is teaching us is that God is just, and he judges based on truth. And it's, you know, there's some, that's something that no person can do, is judge based on truth. None of us can do that. Because our truths, don't you know that our tru- truths turn to be, uh, uh, tend to be subjective, don't they? Well, the things that we believe are true are often not really true. We just perceive them to be. And God judges based on truth and perfection, and he is all-powerful, and he has the ability to judge the whole world without bias. And in chapter 2, it goes on, and Paul begins teaching us that faith in Christ is greater than adherence to the law. And so what he's doing is he's speaking to the Jews, and he's telling them that, look, all that religious baggage that that you carry with you, and all those terms that you are trying to live up to, those things that you consider to be religious, they don't mean a whole lot in light of the gospel. That the gospel is, the, is the, the key to salvation. It's the key to setting us free. And as he goes through, he, he continues to address this issue of, of hypocrisy and, and, not, and the need to not follow laws or rules or traditions, but the need to, to submit to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And now, uh, you know, Brian preached, it seems like a long time ago, but it was about a month ago, he preached chapter 5. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Let's talk about chapter 5 before we get into chapter 6 because chapter 5 is very, very important. In chapter 5, Paul is declaring that for those of us who've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are accepted in Him. If we've we've decided that we're going to follow Jesus Christ with our lives, that in that, we are accepted in his sight and we have access to God. Now, I don't think you guys have the ability, I know I don't, to wrap my mind around the fact that I have access to the creator of the world. It's a very difficult thing to reckon in my mind is that when I pray and I bow my head and I, and I talk, I have the ability to talk to God, that he hears what I'm saying and he doesn't just hear it, he acknowledges it 
He doesn't just acknowledge it. He responds to it. Right? And not as our step and fetch, but as our friend and as our father, he responds. That's a very difficult thing to understand. And and as we go through the the passage in chapter 5, he's telling us, Paul's telling us, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And it's affecting us. And then it's changing us. If you're a Christian, God himself lives inside of you. And he's working out in you the proper heart, the heart that he wants to have, the conforming to his image. And he declares to us that we don't need to fear tribulation and that we don't need to fear wrath. It's a very important passage. Now what's happening here is that that Paul is is making a, a very general argument and he keeps getting more and more specific to address more and more specific issues. And as we get into verse 12 of chapter 5, to the end of the chapter where Brian was, he lays out to uh, to us this idea that there was once upon a time this man named Adam. You guys familiar with this story? Adam, Adam, and Eve, right? Once upon a time, there was this guy named Adam. He was a real person. He lived here on earth. He was the first man. And God created him. He created him in his image. And his intention was that Adam and Eve, both together, would serve him and glorify his name on this earth in a sinless way. And they messed that up. You guys familiar with that? That story? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because of Adam... We were, when we were born, okay, I was, uh, where was I born at? Research? I think I was born at research. When I was born, okay, which is where our kids were born. Yeah. You weren't alive yet, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> that just seems like something you might remember. I don't know. I, I, I was born at research hospital, okay, in 1982. Old. <laughs> Gray hairs are coming. Can you see the gray hairs still over there? Um, the day that I was born, I was born into sin. That day that I was born, that I, that I was brought into this world, I was actually born a sinner. And that's hard for us to reckon, isn't it, a little bit, because we think of babies as being so cute and so cuddly and so spotless. Okay, But the truth is, the truth is, it doesn't take very long for, for your children and those small people to reveal to you that they're actually monsters. <laughs> and that they're, they're pretty hideous, in fact. And um, that they're, they're jealous, and they're covetous, and that they desire things that they shouldn't have. And, and you know what? They reveal to us pretty early that they're actually born into sin. That they're, by their very nature, it's written on their DNA that they're a sinner. And you know what? If we were to point the finger, we could point back to Genesis, and we could say, well, because of Adam's sin... I am genetically predisposed to sin. But the thing about chapter 5 is that as we continue to read it, we come to understand that Jesus Christ is our second Adam. He came to erase what the first Adam did and set things right so that we could have victory and life and righteousness where there wasn't any. That if we decide that we're going to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can actually be set free from the curse. Look at verse 17. 
For if by one man's offense, that, that offense, that's Adam, that one man is Adam. By that one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which uh, receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. He is our second Adam. He is the one that fulfills for us everything that should have been. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to literally take on righteousness and justification. So much so that when God looks at us, he sees his son Jesus. He sees that replacement. And that's victorious for us. That's victory for us. See, grace erased death and he gave us life life because what Adam did propelled us into uh, uh, judgment and wrath and suffering. And, And look, we were destined for hell, a real place. Now, now here's the deal. If God is righteous and he is perfect, okay, then he is a perfect judge. And, And it's not very popular to believe in hell today. It's not a very popular thought that, 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 that people would go to it. Like, we were talking about this last night. I bumped into Julie and some of the girls at the cafe, and we were talking. And we were talking about this idea that it's really easy to believe in heaven because everybody wants to believe in the good place. No one wants to believe in the bad place. But the truth is, if God is perfect and just, then there has to be judgment. But here's the deal. All of us had judgment written on our foreheads. All of us were destined for that until Christ came in and he replaced uh, us on that cross. He came in and he stepped in our place. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, Even so, might grace reign through righteousness and unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. See, he justified us. He set us right. His grace extended to us, gave us the ability to believe in him. And some of us in this room have actually never believed on Jesus Christ. And you've been uh, yet to be made righteous. You're not yet righteous because you've yet put your faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that's being extended to you. And that's something worth addressing today on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I ask that you consider the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. The holiness of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. And ask yourself, is that not worth laying down my own life for And that's what we're going to address today, is this idea of dying that we might live. Dying that we might live. So, let's actually begin the study, because we haven't yet. Sorry to break it to you. Uh, So, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul paints a hypothetical question here. You know, Paul's really good at addressing what he thinks someone might ask. You know, like, good teachers do that. I don't know if I'm a good teacher or not. But good teachers have the ability to address questions and foresee them and address them before they get asked. 
And Paul does that here several times throughout this letter. He knows what the next question is going to be, and so he asks it for him, for them. And then he, he addresses that question. And, and so in light of grace, in light of, of Christ erasing our sin, and so that when God sees us, he sees his son Jesus Christ, the next natural question is, don't I get to just sin all the time knowing that God's grace has covered me? It's a very selfish question. It's a very selfish question. So the question is, so if Christ's death covered our sins and gave us eternal life, then what keeps us from just doing what we want? Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's like if I sin more, then God's grace has to meet that. And if I sin more and more, then grace, God's grace abounds more and more and covers it. And isn't that just a display of his grace? It's a really selfish question. It's very materialistic in nature. Yet, it's good for us doctrinally. I'm glad that it's here. Because for us, it addresses several different issues. So in other words, if we are covered by the grace of Jesus Christ, that, that isn't, isn't that just a license for me to sin and do what I want if I'm covered? What keeps us from just doing whatever we want as Christians? If Jesus Christ's blood covers and washes away our sins, why can't we just do what we want? You know, this makes me, when I'm reading this passage and studying, it makes me think a lot about, so you guys already know I teach high school. It makes me think a lot about uh, students that I have at least at West High School. Some would refer to them as entitled you know, well to do. And, you know, a lot of times I've come into to situations where students will get in trouble. They'll find themselves in trouble. They'll do something they shouldn't have done. They'll, they'll sin. You know, that could be anything. Maybe cussing out their teacher. <laughs> All too real. All too real. Um, and what happens is, their parent will interject themselves and they will make uh, an escape for them at any cost. And what will happen is the parent will do whatever. They'll, they'll, they'll get the lawyer they need to get in some cases. They will uh, pay whatever it costs. Uh, you know, little Johnny got his seventh ticket. Well, we'll just take, we'll take care of that, little Johnny. You know, BMWs, they go fast. So... Uh, or they'll go and they'll complain and they'll, they'll throw a fit, they'll pitch a fit on their kid's behalf. And really <clears throat> what they're doing is they're training their kids to continue in the vicious cycle of sin. They're setting their kids up for failure because what they're doing is they're being permissive parents. And they give them uh, the ability to just say, well, mom and dad will take care of it. It doesn't matter what I do. The situation will be taken care of for me. And I don't really have to suffer the repercussions of that. So that's similar to this situation. If we can, if we can sin, if that's our perception of Christ, if we can sin with, with no eternal consequence, and Christ simply covers our rear ends every time that we fail, then the question is, why can't I just do whatever I want? Now, here's the reason that that's not right. Because what that does is it says that God, 
who's perfect, is permissive and even complicit in our sin. It's saying that God is okay with sin. That every day that we live isn't about living for him. It's about doing what we want. And it totally negates the mission and the purpose of God that he asked for us. And what it does is, if that's true of God, it ruins his entire economy. The entire purpose of this world and our lives and what we're set out to do and be is completely messed up and jacked up. If God is just a permissive parent letting us fool around and do whatever we want, and he's winking at our sin, and he's saying, it's okay, it's okay, no big deal, I've got you. And so this is a valid question. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 addresses it. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, that's in reference to the Old Testament sacrifice, how it was, not, it was not a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't cover our sins. It was a temporal sacrifice. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Okay, in other words, God sacrificed his son Jesus Christ for us. Pure and spotless, without sin. He offered him up freely. What, so that we could, so that we could just continue in sin? So that we, our butts would be covered? So that everything would be cool? That he would be permissive for us to just do whatever we want? No, 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 no. To purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Key point number one. Salvation is not a get out of hell free card. God demands righteous living. God demands righteous living. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope that you read the fine print of that contractual agreement. Because if you entered into that with the intention that you would just escape his judgment, and that was the only thing that you were pursuing in that relationship, then guess what? You failed to actually accept Jesus Christ for everything that he truly is. Because you know what? If God comes to earth perfect and dies for your sins, then he better be made your master. Not your lawyer, not your mommy or your daddy, not some permissive genie in a bottle. He did not just punch your get out of hell free card. He asked you to enter into an agreement that you would serve him all the days of your life and that he would be master over your life. That's what he asked of you. And because of that, you don't get to just live however you want. You don't get to be whoever you want. God didn't give you salvation to, make, uh, to give you liberty and occasion for sin. When you accepted Christ, you resolved to serve the living God. And you know, this truth, this idea of, of well, okay, okay. So God's grace is sufficient for all my sins. And it covers my sin. Um, people really struggle with that. And that's why doctrines in this world exist. Uh, false doctrines that say, well, you actually can lose your salvation if you sin enough. Right? And this is, a com- this is common 
in a lot of uh, charismatic churches in particular, this idea that at some point God's grace has a threshold, and when you meet that threshold, you fall back into sin, into, into his judgment, and into his wrath. Now, that threshold, no one knows what that is. It's arbitrary, inherently. But, but at some point, you meet some sort of threshold, and then God forgets that you're his child, and you're no longer adopted, and you no longer belong to him. And so what that does, that ruins the economy of God as well. If a child of God can lose their adoption, that makes God look ridiculous. As though his grace is not sufficient. As though his love and his death, his burial, and his resurrection were not good enough to cover us. And so that leads us to our next point. Salvation was not earned, so it can't be lost. Salvation is not earned, so it, so it, it cannot be lost. But even though your eternity as a Christian is sealed... Even though God's got you, God still demands righteous living that he might be glorified. You understand? You don't get to live however you want. So the question is, well then, how, I can't seem to stop sinning. I, I'm struggling with that. I can't seem to stop sinning. I keep doing it. So then how do I stop? How do I keep from sinning? Now here's the deal. Listen to me. When you sin and you mess up, guess what? God's grace meets you there. He loves you. He does have you covered. But not to be permissive. This is what Paul is about to address here. What does he say? What's his response? God forbid. Verse 2. God forbid. God forbid that you just sin, that God's grace might cover your rear end. God forbid. See, Paul reframes their line of questioning. And what he does is he flips it on its head. And we'll see this in the second part of verse 2. What he's saying is <clears throat> that, that justification is not just a legal agreement between God and I. Salvation is not just a legal agreement between God and I. And it's not just, justification is not just as if I had never sinned. You know, that's what we always say, right? Justification. What is justification? Justification is like just as if I'd never sinned. Right? That's what we say. It's just as if I'd never sinned. You know what? It's not just that. Justification also means it's just as if I died and rose with Jesus Christ. It's just as if I had died with him and rose again on the third day. We don't usually frame it like that, do we? We don't usually explain it that way. But what I want to get at, and what Paul's getting at here today, and this is what I want to focus on, is that if you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you give your life to him, what you've actually done is you died on a cross 2,000 years ago. That's actually what you've done. And not only that, you rose again into new life three days later. And the Easter story is as much about telling the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he defeated sin that day. And it's this, this, this grand story, this epic story of how God came to earth and he died for our sins and rose again. It's, you know what? It's actually a very personal story about how 2,000 years ago I died and my sin died on a cross and I was made a dead man living. Our justification, what that does, our salvation, what that does, is it identifies us as people of death. 
People that embrace the fact that we are actually no longer ourselves. We don't belong to us. I died to myself. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I died to me that he might live in me. Verse 2 says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's unlocking the door for us here. How is it that we can actually struggle with sin knowing that we're actually dead to sin? We're not alive to it. God, God actually gave us the ability to die to our own sin. Verse 3. Know ye not? You know, Paul uses this phrase, know ye not, 12 times in the New Testament. And whenever he uses it, he uses it as an opportunity to emphasize something. He wants to make something clear. He's saying, look, this is something that you don't know. I want to make it clear. So let's pay attention. What does he say? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Okay, so what does that mean? We saw some baptisms today, didn't we? Right? It's not, the, it's not the same baptism. The word baptism here is a reference to immersion. But Paul is using the word figuratively to imply the shared experience that we have in Christ's death. The word baptism is used similarly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And so what he's saying here is, is we actually are baptized spiritually, not physically, not literally. We're baptized spiritually into Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what actually we did this morning. When we saw those people get baptized into the water and raised out, that's a picture of what happened in their heart already. When we see someone take on that physical baptism as a picture for our church, what we're doing is we're actually acknowledging the fact that their life is already baptized into Jesus Christ through death, burial, and resurrection. And so Paul is using it here figuratively to explain to us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that we actually died with him, that we were there, that we were present so, so, through the baptism, we became retroactive participants in his death the day that we decided to follow him. You know, this is, a, this is a kind of a hard concept to get your mind around. Okay? Are you guys familiar with the passage that, that tells us that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Does anybody ever think about that? The Bible promises that if you're a believer, you believe in Jesus Christ. You're seated in heavenly, uh, uh, heavenly places with Christ. That means What that means is, in this moment, I am both physically here, but there's an aspect for which my, my personage is in heaven and sealed away, awaiting a future coming. Okay, this is a, this is a difficult thought, isn't it? We, it's hard for us to get our mind around the fact that presently, as Christians, I'm actually with Christ in heaven. Similarly, it's difficult for us to think, I'm also just as much present at the cross and, on the, and, on, and dying the death that Jesus Christ died. To think back and think that I am a participant 
not physically, but spiritually, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a grand thought. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Just because it's difficult, just because it's mysterious, doesn't mean that it's any less true. That our flesh uh, hung dead on that cross the day that Jesus Christ was nailed to it. He was taking on our sins even in that moment. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, you hear the old timers say that, that we were on his mind. That your name was written on his mind the day that he died. Can you imagine that for a second? Can you imagine Christ uttering your name on the cross? That's a powerful thought. <laughs> your watch really wanted to know. <laughs> Does your watch want to get saved today? <laughs> understand, I'm just saying that it's true. That the day that you decided to follow Jesus Christ, you actually nailed your sins to that cross with him. And you became dead to them. Key point number three. We defeated sin eternally through death at the cross. We defeated our sin. When we laid our life down for God, our sin was defeated eternally in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing that we need to understand, and this is the purpose of this passage, is we also defeat sin daily through death at the cross. We overcome sin in our life on a daily basis because of because we're dead to our sin. We're dead to our flesh. It doesn't have to control us. You know, when before we were saved, our flesh controlled us. The desires controlled us. We were a slave to our flesh. But what happens is, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're actually delivered from that, and you're no longer under the bondage of your flesh. Your flesh becomes neutralized. Now, you can continue to follow your flesh if you so choose. Right? Daily, I struggle with that. But my point is, is that the flesh becomes neutralized. You have the ability to, to every day defeat sin in your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we are dead to sin, then we have the power to live conformed to Christ. We have that power. And we are not only dead to sin, but we are alive to Christ. Verse 4 of Romans, uh, of Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, this made me think about uh, the story of Lazarus. You guys know Lazarus, right? The, the man that had died and Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember, <clears throat> Lazarus had been in the tombs for several days when Jesus Christ got there. And when he gets to the cave, 
uh, to the tomb, he says, hey, Lazarus, rise and come out. You guys remember this story? Hey, Lazarus, rise and come out. And so Lazarus raises up from the dead. He defeats death that day. He overcomes death. But do you remember, what was the next thing that God said, that Jesus said to him? Right? He comes out. He looks like a mummy. Why? He's all wrapped up in the linens that they wrap dead people in. And what does he say? He says, loose him. Loose him. Now let me explain to you the picture here. Lazarus wasn't just called to defeat death that day. He was called to be loose that he might be set free to live a life of righteousness. Later that day, he sits down with Jesus Christ and eats a meal. He has liberty. He has freedom to walk about. And in fact, we read about Lazarus' life, and he was a crucial disciple for Jesus Christ for the remainder of his years. In other words, if Christ would have said, come out, Lazarus, and he would have simply, simply defeated death that day, and not been set free from the, from the, the bondage of the wrapping, that he wouldn't have had the liberty that, that God intended for him. And likewise, if you've just simply defeated death, that's not good enough. You're just a zombie. It's not good enough. You've been, you've been set free from death, that you might have newness of life. That you might live new. You know, you're dead to sin. So you wouldn't be in bondage to it. But more so, God's mercy gives us the ability to accept his grace and to live a life daily set free from sin and living for his mission. Our calling is the same as Lazarus's. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this, this is a beautiful parallel passage, because look what he says next. Because of that, because he's been set free, because Jesus Christ loved him and lives in him, he says this, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, I'm not going to frustrate his grace by continuing because I've been set free. To live in my sin, I've been set free that I might live for him. And I don't want to frustrate his grace. I don't want to tempt him. I don't want, to, I don't want him to be a permissive parent. I want to be an obedient son. I want to be an obedient daughter. I want to live for him in his grace daily, conform to his image. I'm not going to get by on just his mercy. I want to live in his grace daily. So, so here's the deal. While we are still in this flesh... We have the ability to walk in the newness of life. You know, as I get older, okay, I played basketball with the guys at the retreat, and uh, it jacked me up. My body is not what it was 10 years ago. I was sore for like three days. Okay, now I will say that I still, I did better than some of the other guys. Yeah, I'll say that. That made me feel sorry. I was getting flushed yesterday. Yeah, I was really proud. I, I, I repent right now. <laughs> but I, I'm reminded that I'm, I'm on my way to death. Yeah, and that my flesh is weak. Like, the, my flesh is, is weak. And if I yield to my flesh, I'm going to end up sinning. 
But if I walk in newness of life, if I walk in the power of Jesus Christ, I have the ability to yield myself to him and be conformed to his image. That I be no longer in the bondage of sin. I don't have to be that person. I get to make a decision whether or not I'm going to walk like Jesus. Verse 5, for, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, also, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And, and I love this verse. I want us to look at it just for a moment. This verse is really powerful. This word planted together is a single Greek word, which means to be born together. Planted together in the likeness of his death. Born together of the same origin. And the English here is just as amazing because what it implies is, is two plants being grafted together that they might grow in one. You see that? Now do you see what God is saying here? He's saying that you and Jesus are like one. That you're planted together. That your origin is the same. That the resurrection that Jesus experienced when he called himself back to life, that we are, we are equal participants in that, in that spiritual and very physical thing. I mean, that's an amazing thought. He counts us equal participants in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, we couldn't die the death that Jesus died. We weren't worthy, were we? I mean, we couldn't have died for our own sins, could we? Because we're not perfect. We aren't worthy of that death, right? Remember Peter said that. that the, the history tells us that Peter, the apostle Peter, said that he wasn't worthy to die the same death that Jesus Christ did. And so he chose, when they killed him and martyred him, he was, he was actually crucified upside down, which is like a way longer death. But he chose that because he wasn't worthy, just even symbolically, of the death that Jesus Christ died. We weren't worthy to die our own death. It had to be Jesus Christ. It had to be the perfect lamb. But you know what? Because we died to self through faith, his justification puts us on that cross and in that grave and in his resurrection. It puts us there. We're present with him. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, just like Jesus was. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. I don't think you get this. Joint heirs with Christ? Equal in his inheritance? Full participants? I mean, the word, the word joint heir, okay, makes us, it puts us so closely together with Jesus, it's like we're, we're planted together. It's like everything that he endured, he endured on our behalf, like it belongs to us. But yet, why don't we take ownership why don't we put ourselves there? Why don't we recognize on a daily basis that what Christ endured, he did for us, and it's as though we were there that day. We don't get that. 
We don't see that we've been set free from sin. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us. We died once. We gave our lives to him. He crucified our sin on the cross. That we might be made alive in him. <coughs> Has anybody ever seen Weekend at Bernie's? What, dude? You're the only one maybe old enough to remember that. Weekend at Bernie's? You guys know that movie? I won't go through the plot. It's a really awful, stupid movie. But two two guys, uh, their boss accidentally dies. Okay, their boss, and through the whole movie, they like carry his body around and pretend like he's alive, and like uh, they try to like animate him, and like so the whole movie is like this dead guy. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You see where this is going? <clears throat> you know, we often live that way. We take what God has called dead and we try, to, we try to animate our dead body, our sinful man, our carnal person. We try to animate it. We try to, we try to bring it back. And you know what? The, whole, the reason that Weekend at Bernie's is supposed to be funny is because the whole situation is ridiculous and awkward. The idea of reanimating a human body that's already been made dead is just ridiculous and it makes for great black humor, right? Um... But when Christians do it, it's pathetic. And it's sad, and it's awkward, and, and, it's, and it's ridiculous. And yet we do it every day, don't we? We try to reanimate the old man. We try to, to take the carnal thing, the thing that died on the cross that day, and we try to bring it back to life. You know why? Because we don't place ourselves at the crucifix. We don't put ourselves there. We don't recognize everything that it is for us and what it means for us daily. We don't reckon ourselves dead. You know, even I... Um, we, when we had little babies, we're about to have another baby, so I'm like thinking about this is going to be painful. But like babies wake up all night, and, and they, they make us really tired. You know, I like remember times where Shepherd or Clementine would be up like several times throughout the night, and we would take turns getting up, and then we finally get to sleep at like four, and then the alarm goes off at five, and we have to go to work. And you know what? We would feel in our flesh at five a.m. on nights like that that there's no way it could be five a.m. There's no way that the night is already, like, we've, like we didn't get any sleep. There's no way it's 5 a.m. I can't believe it. But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth have all declared the fact that it's 5 a.m. And it is 5 a.m. And that I have to get up and I have to go to work. You know what? The same thing must be true of us. We have to reckon the fact that, that we might not understand the fact that Jesus Christ destroyed our sin that day. But the truth is he did. And we might not understand that we're dead to sin because we struggle with our flesh every single day. It feels like my flesh is alive. It feels like, like I'm supposed to sin. It feels like I'm supposed to continue to pursue those things. And I'm constantly being tempted by those things. But you know what? God has declared you set free. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to reanimate the old man. You don't have to live carnally. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to say those things. You don't have to gossip those words. You don't have to, you don't have to, to, to pursue uh, those endeavors. 
You don't have to be that old person. You've been set free. Verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This word reckon means to determine. And determination here is not necessarily a feeling. A lot of times when we think about determination, we imagine like those motivational posters, and there's like some guy just like grunting out some sort of like intense workout plan, like he's like lifting weights or like running across the finish line. And, and it makes us feel that determination is a feeling that's like conjured up, that we can like conjure in ourselves this determination, right? Don't we think about that? But the word reckon here, the word determination, is actually more about discipline. It's about cultivating in yourself the discipline to believe what you know is true. Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That word seek is important. Do you have to be intentional if you seek? Yeah. Seeking requires intention. I tell my kids, where are your shoes at? I don't know, Dad. Will you look for them for me? No, where are your shoes? Find them. And they meander about, and they're easily distracted. They're not actually pursuing the shoes. They're not seeking them. They're just going willy-nilly wherever they feel like it. They're just kind of stumbling about and they get distracted by My Little Pony or whatever it is. Right? They're not seeking with intention. What this says here is seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above. Put your attention on Jesus Christ. Be, get your face in His Word. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. And mortify, therefore, your members that are upon the earth. Okay, so look. It says seek, and then it says set. Set your affections. So you seek, and then you set. And the word set means determine. It means reckon. Seek Jesus Christ and reckon yourself... A, a spiritual person. And mortify your members. Die to yourself. This is the only way to live sinlessly. Listen, listen. If you want to live alive to Christ, you have to mortify your flesh. You have to reckon some things. You have to make a determination. The only way to cultivate this kind of discipline is to study God's word, to examine it, and to be accountable to it daily. And so here's the deal. Some of you in here are asking yourself, why is it that you keep messing up? Well, it's because you haven't really sought the Lord. And you haven't really set your affections. And you haven't really mortified your flesh. And what that means for you is that it's time for you to reckon yourself dead and follow Him. And make a life of this. And it's going to require discipline. See, and this is my point to you in conclusion. This is it. So we celebrate Easter Day. We're celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago, but I'm telling you, you were there. If you chose Jesus Christ, if you choose Jesus Christ, you're there. You're there with Him. You're dying. Your sins are dying there. And you're being raised again to newness of life. You're there. And so Easter is life. Easter is who you are. 
Resurrection is who you are. Well, well, then why do I keep sinning? Well, you. The issue is, you're not determining that's who you are every day. You're not reckoning. And so the question is this. This is the question. This is the conclusion. For those of you who have not actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you were to die today and you don't know if you would go to hell, then there's something that you need to work through. You have to determine whether or not the gospel message is true or not. You've got to decide, is Jesus Christ actually the Son of God and did he die for my sins? You've got to decide that. And you very much need to decide, am I going to die today? Am I, going to, am I going to put myself in Jesus today? In that death, burial, and resurrection? And then some of us who've already made that decision, some of us have already said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm a Christian. I've I, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Okay, the question is, tomorrow morning when you wake up and you get in your car and you go to work or you go to school, and you're tempted to do something that you know that you shouldn't. Maybe it's because of some friends that you have in your life, or maybe it's a situation, or maybe it's just habit that you've built, that you talk a certain way, that you act a certain way, that that's just who, what you've cultivated in your life. The question is, are you going to wake up tomorrow and decide that you're dead to that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Are you a dead man? Are you a dead woman walking? If you get to, if you get to follow and pursue what you want to pursue, then you're not dead. You don't get to be you. If you're a Christian, you get to be Christ. And that needs to be sufficient. And Easter, or the resurrection day, needs to be true of you every day. Does this make sense? I feel like I beat a dead horse. I'm a little rusty, maybe. It's been a few weeks. But, but I love you guys. And, if, and when I think about, when I look at you guys, even the people that I don't know very well, okay, it's weird. I have the ability to love you because of what Christ did for me. And I want to tell you this morning that I love you. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And I believe that he's worth following. And there would be no better day than today to decide that you want to live a resurrected life. You want to live an innocent life. And you want to be set free from the bondage of your sin. Today would be the best day to do that. I'm going to pray. And as we dismiss... If you know you need to deal with that issue, or any issue at all, then you need to grab someone and pray with them. Deal? Okay. I love you guys. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that, that it was communicated in a way that, that hearts would be convicted of sin. And that, Lord, uh, if there are people right now who are struggling with bondage to sin, that that no matter what, they seem to just be falling back into ways that they know aren't right. God, I pray that you would help them to deal with that right now, and that they would lay those things at, at the cross. That cross that we hung on 2,000 years ago is ever-present with us. And God, we can just lay our sins there, and we can walk away from them. And so God, I pray that, that you would make us all dead today, that we might live with you, and live like you, and be renewed by you that we might have purpose, and that we might be set free to, de to, to declare your gospel to this entire world. I ask this in the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Jesus raised you from the dead, and you walk away and continue life doing whatever you wanted. And that's some of us. That's some of us where we're at spiritually right now, where we're at today. And I just want to say, we need to get right. Jesus died for your sins, and all it takes is for you to confess it, and he wants to walk with you for the rest of your life. So we're going to sing this song. It's very repeatable.
guys are dismissed. Help clean up. Have a good Easter. Thank you.